Whiskey bikini. Whiskey bikini. Whiskey bikini. Whiskey bikini. Welcome to the Whiskey Bikini Suspense Show. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of the Whiskey Bikini Podcast, also known as the Whiskey Bikini Suspense Show. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm James, I'm your host, and yeah, in case you don't know Whiskey Bikini, we're, uh, you know, we're a production platform between uh, the East and the West, uh, focusing on horror films and dark fantasy, psychological stuff and everything, so... Uh, you can check out our website, follow us on the social medias and everything. And yeah, do check out our, our semi-regular podcast. Um, you can find that on the socials too. And you know, please follow us and check us out on all the usual podcast platforms. Been a bit less frequent uh, of late because I've been uh, moving house most of the time up out into the middle, middle of nowhere in Scotland. Uh, quite literally the middle of nowhere. And it's actually quite sinister out here. And uh, Cub. Kump Chen, my, my regular podcast partner and film director and producer, is he's gone from Hong Kong to Taiwan at the moment where he, he's working on the production side of things. And hopefully we're going to have some exciting news on the production front of things soon too as well. So yeah, do check us out. Listen to our previous episodes, including the, the radio play Mojo in the Corridors of Blood, which is very cool. So here we are now, and at the time of recording, and, and you do just have me for, for this episode, because uh, yeah, Cub's tied up in Taiwan. But yeah, it's December, and it's not long till Christmas, a couple of weeks away and everything. And, you know, as usual, for December, I, I do like to, to try and get into the festive, uh, <laughs> the festive spirit by watching at least one Christmas horror film every day. And yeah, I am about half, two-thirds of the way through this for December. Um... <laughs> I do, yeah. You do kind of come to regret it and stuff when when you realize how few uh, good Christmas horror films there are. There are plenty out there, but there's a lot of them are pretty piss poor. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna overdwell on that during this during this episode because I'm yeah, I'm gonna be talking about one film in particular. I mean, I do. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of. I do think there's a lot of other stuff for Christmas horror. I mean, when I say Christmas horror, I should just say I'm talking about you know like Killer Santas. Uh, Black Christmas, you know, this kind of sp very specifically, you know, Christmas holiday themed stuff. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, M.R. James ghost stories. And I'd, since I'm a massive fan of the, uh, you know, the old a ghost story for Christmas, uh, and I definitely watching a lot of that stuff. And, and also I find it's a good time for some of the more, uh, some of the more like gothic-y sort of hammer horror films and the, the Vincent Price, Edgar Allan Poe stuff. And, and just, I guess, horror that, as well that's maybe more on the sort of old-fashioned ghost side of stuff you, you know sort of a proper sort of supernatural yarn and um i think mr james stuff is a fantastic fit for christmas uh, if you can sit by the fire watch it nice very very large glass of whiskey brandy or or shock horror maybe even mulled wine um in your hand as well not a massive fan of mulled wine i'll, I'll be honest but you know again getting into the christmas spirit anyway not really talking about those those kinds of films in this episode but um yeah more just like the proper christmas horror as in stuff that's specifically festively themed for better or as is very often the case the worst 
So the main film I'm going to talk a bit about uh, and what kind of inspired me to do this podcast is uh, Christmas Bloody Christmas, uh, a new release which has just uh, landed on Shudder, uh, I think, internationally, just just before um, I'm recording this. It's uh, written, directed and produced by Joe Bagos, and he's working again with his regular collaborator, uh, editor and producer, Josh Ethier, um, with apologies for, for any mispronunciations, but... But yeah, I, I I do like Joe Bagos' work. I mean, he's not directed a huge amount of stuff, but um, anything he does, I've, I've always enjoyed and worth watch, found worth watching. Like from his early, like uh, Almost Human, which I really love. You know, it's a super low budget, incredibly creative kind of take on stuff. Like, you know, it's very John Carpenter, but it's also got a lot of uh, extra kind of weirdness in there. And I'm a, I'm a big fan of extra. I mean, it's, it's got great sort of practical effects, uh, works very well within what was obviously like a micro budget I think it's on like fifty thousand dollars or something mad like that so um he, he's a very good sort of practical director in this respect and he's very good at creating uh, a sort of specific I, I i think the word like grindhouse gets overused not just for him but for so many directors <laughs> filmmakers and films uh so i'm not going to say grindhouse but he's he's another one like um who can really sort of nail that proper 80s feel that proper vhs feel without diving too deeply over the top into it um you know someone like uh, old rob zombie who i do like rob zombie a lot to be fair but you know he he goes overboard uh on some of the aesthetics of trying to convince everyone they're watching uh, something you know grindhouse or old school or whatever but i think joe bagos is one of those directors who who doesn't get caught up so much in those sort of fancied aesthetics and you know additional meta-ish touches and everything he just sort of gets on with the business of producing stuff which you might well have found or might you know maybe in our memories you know i'm sure like when, when i was a kid and um it'd probably be like the late the late 80s, I, I, I guess, by the time I was raiding video stores or trying to get 18 rated films um, when I was about 12 or something on video cassette, like um, whether or not we're remembering just how crazy and psychotronic and psychedelic some of these films were, I doubt it. I mean, it's mostly we remember the covers of these films, some of which were fantastic. And, you know, even some of them had like flashing lights on the video boxes and everything. But um, but yeah, I think Joe Vegas is one of those ones who, who directors who actually does manage to recreate uh, that fantastical feeling or, you know, mixed with like nostalgia, uh, I, I guess, of what some of us think about when we think back to our, our, you know, our childhood excursions into genre cinema. So, and he obviously amps it up considerably. I mean, he's still, he's working with really small budgets all the time, but he really amps up from what we remember. And, you know, when we look back at a lot of those old films uh, in the 80s, 90s and everything, um, again, I think spurred on by the the covers of them, even when it moved into DVD, or the names of the films. Uh, in some question, in some cases, his films actually deliver on a lot of the gore and craziness and everything that we were just promised in these early films, and which we maybe you know imagine we actually had. But if you rewatch some of those films, you you know you're kind of surprised how tame how tame they actually were. But anyway, he also did stuff like Bliss, which is a really interesting take on the vampire stuff, and. VFW, uh, which is again very John Carpentery, uh, sort of assault and precinct thirteen style. Everything about some Vietnam War veterans uh, under siege in a bar from uh, <laughs> some psycho punks. So that, that, there, you know, he, he's there's nothing he's done which I haven't liked. He's, he hasn't done too many films. There's only been a few others and stuff. But um, hopefully, Christmas, bloody Christmas, 
Uh, I think it is a bit more high profile than some of his other films. And it, with it being on Shudder at this time uh, of year, um, it seems to be getting more mainstream reviews at least. Uh, and we'll see. We'll see if this leads him on to bigger things. Um, he's talking about sequels to this, which would be pretty welcome. Um, as well as some more like alien type films. So yeah, I, I would always check out anything by Joe Bagos. But to Christmas, bloody Christmas. And I mean, yeah, we've got a pretty classic sort of seasonal slasher plot, you know, what what seems to be a fairly small town or suburb or, or something. Um, we've got our two main characters who, uh, we've got Tori, played by Riley Dandy, who, to be honest, not very familiar with. A quick flick through her CVs suggests she has actually done quite a few Christmas films, so fair play. And uh, Sam Delich as Robbie, who also was not very familiar with, but... Um, yeah, both in their 20s. She runs some sort of like cult record tour music type shop and he's her employee and they're both pretty rock and roll and everything. And, um, you know, they're they're drinking in the shop. It's Christmas Eve, I believe. And they're trying to figure out what to do. So they go to see their friends who are running a toy shop <laughs> nearby on the, the sort of small town high street. Uh, and the toy shop has this robot Santa in it. And we've been getting these reports from early on as well as some... Uh, nice sort of fake adverts uh, and we are hearing these things about like robot Santas which are effectively like repurposed military hardware which might be which might be going going a bit wild and causing mayhem because you know of course retooling military hardware to you know Christmas robot Santas sounds like such a fantastic plan but um, but yeah Tori and Robbie sort of go around bars getting drunk and they end up back at her place to listen to records get more drunk and you know, we've been having the two of them kind of flirting with each other the whole time, endlessly. And, yeah, we're figuring they're probably going to get down to it, finally. And her sister and boyfriend are there, but I can't remember much about them. And the robot Santa turns up, of course, and we get a lot of carnage. We, we've also got the police. Um, the, the police are around and getting involved trying to figure out what's happening, uh, inevitably not believing them until it's too late, including Jeff Daniel Phillips, who's, you know, he's probably in everything Rob Zombie does now for, for quite the last while. You'll, if you've seen any of Bob Zombie's films, you'll definitely recognize him. And um, Jeremy Gardner, who's, you know, he's in a lot of indie horror, like The Battery, uh, which is a fantastic film, and Spring, uh, Benson and Moorhead's film. So yeah, there's not, I'm not going to go any further into it than that. I don't really think you would even need me to, or you need any spoilers and stuff, but I'd say, I guess what's kind of surprising about the film, a little bit at least, is how much time it actually spends with uh, uh, Dandy and Delich's characters. Uh, you know, they really, I don't know, it's kind of like a before sun, before sunrise. I always get this, these, these films mixed up, before sunrise or after sunrise, sunset. But you know the ones, Richard Linklage, you know, you know the ones I mean anyway. But we spend a hell of a lot of time with them. Um, in the first half of the film or so. And it's kind of a very, very sweary, increasingly drunk uh, take on these films. And they're they're just hanging around, getting drunker and drunker. And, you know, they're basically flirting by cursing each other out and throwing random opinions at each other and about music and films. And he's kind of, um, he's kind of a bit jealous at the start because she seems to be, she's going out in this Tinder date with some guy who's apparently a weirdo and who's married and has kids. And it's kind of a running joke that everyone else in the film knows who this guy is and nobody can believe that she's going out with him. And, and yeah, it's the, the probably if you know what they're talking about, all these references and all the bands and everything like that, which is, you know, quite this sort of specific, uh, snapshot in, in time, which, uh, I'm not sure, I guess is the nineties maybe, but, um, 
I don't I don't know. Maybe it's quite sweet. I'm not sure. I mean, I quite like this part of the film. Uh, I've seen a lot of reviews complaining about it. And they do swear a hell of a fucking lot. I mean, it's almost three times. You know, I'm from Glasgow and we, we curse a lot. But these two, like, and I'd, I'd say like in the course of a sentence, they probably swear about four or five times each. And it's just like that fucking pointless fucking, you know, fuck, man. What the fuck? Uh, fuck. I don't know, man. But just <laughs> throwing words in basically where they don't have any meaning but i think that's fine and it's i preferred seeing these two sort of going back and forth at each other the whole time where they're walking the streets sitting in a seedy bar drinking in their record shop or or back at her place and um going through her records and then you know complaining to each other about each other's taste in music preferred that to the usual teens to be honest and they're, they're, I thought they were quite likable, quite nice performances, and I didn't have any problem with that. I would say I'm not 100% sure about their drinking, though. Uh, it's definitely movie drinking, you know, where they drink this insane amount. I mean, they, they start off by going through a, a bottle of whiskey, and then they seem to have another bottle from somewhere. When they're at the bar, they're drinking a hell of a lot of shots. Uh, they're also smoking the, uh, the whack tobacco, and when they're back at hers, they're drinking even more, and and they're still totally functional. I mean, they're getting drunk and stuff, but they're still functional. They're not falling over. And, you know, and I'm a pretty, <laughs> pretty experienced drinker myself. And uh, I don't know. Maybe they're just very good at it. But, you know, movie drinking, like I say, probably not to be, not to be copied at home unless you've had very uh, specific training. But, yeah, I think the film's a huge amount of fun. And it, it is... In a sort of very entertaining way, kind of referencing RoboCop, um, Terminator, obviously, a lot of like Christmas slashers and stuff. Um, I mean, Black Christmas, of course, and as well as Bob Clark's uh, Christmas Story, which actually gets thrown in and is kind of a funny reference as well. And I must admit, I've never seen that film. Uh, though Black Christmas, uh, I, I obviously love, which I'll be talking a wee bit about later. But it's a lot of nice touches, like these fake ads at the start and everything like that, which ties it all together. Uh, very nicely and kind of sets the scene for stuff and a lot of Christmas lights and, and the whole film is very it's very day glow a lot of sort of flashing very colorful bulbs everywhere which again is kind of maybe a bit like old Rob Zombie though here since it's Christmas you know Begos can get away with it he can have all these like weird colors and psychedelic slightly hallucinogenic slightly sort of blurred visuals and stuff because of the time of year and it does give it a nice atmosphere, I think. it does. That's one of the most important things for any Christmas-themed uh, Christmas -themed slasher is that you have to nail this Christmas atmosphere, and he does that here. And I mean, it's not really... A, I'm not saying it has a Rob Zombie feel to it in that so much. I mean, it does, like most of Begos' work, it, it's got a very John Carpenter, kind of a drunk John Carpenter. <laughs> that's one for the poster, a drunk John Carpenter, or, or maybe on speed or acid or something. But it's got more of that feel to it, and... A lot of it was shot in 60mm, so it's pretty grainy, um, a bit blurry or hard to see, though not as much as VFW, which I, I thought actually was a bit too a bit too dark. But again, I, I thought this, I like this, man. I mean, it, it gives Christmas, bloody Christmas, this, um, it does have this kind of VHS feel to it. And clearly that that is the point. It's, and it's both that, what Begos is aiming for, and it's... Um, uh, it's a sort of clever way to work around the budgetary limitations of the film. So, you know, fair play to him. I, I did like the look of the film. I mean, there's no messing around in it either, which helps. I mean, we don't actually find out why the robot Santa's going nuts. And it doesn't waste the time 
getting into it, which is good. I mean, we could have come up with something wacky, I guess, but this is, I mean, the film's less than 19 minutes, which, oh, I love it. I love it. I, I, I can't rant on enough about how much I prefer shorter films now, uh, probably just because I'm old. But um, <laughs> but it doesn't waste time. It's very efficient. It runs very quickly. There's a lot of kill scenes. Even during these parts at the start where we're doing our before sunrise stuff, um, there's still like a fair whack of uh, Killer Santa uh, action in there. And yeah, well, despite the budget, you, we do get some pretty effective gore. I mean, some of the kill scenes are a bit uh, murky, to be fair. Um, but, you know, it's fine. They're not these massively sort of slasher stagey kill scenes at the same time some of the film is quite quite chaotic when the we're we're seeing like santa pov shots and everything and it's it's just mowing its way through people and so you don't always 100 percent see what's going on but again as a way of working around a low budget that's great and there's still a good amount of gore and some nasty stuff in there um in a splattery way that's not too uh that's not too comical or or jokey as we get in a lot of these types of films and stuff and the, the actual robot effects are pretty good and it did it did make me laugh hearing the <laughs> some of the noises where, where the robot's moving which we get sometimes and we don't get it other times so no, nothing wrong with that man a bit of comedy inconsistency but but yeah where everything goes a bit terminator and the effects are good i, I mean for this kind of low budget thing it's, it's very uh, i don't like saying charming but i'm gonna say charming it's pretty fucking charming it's nice and we've seen like a lot of killer killer store robots or that kind of anime you know animatronic things going buck wild recently like the uh, the nick cage one willie's wonderland which actually was surprisingly a bit dull uh the banana splits movie um pretty fun uh i, I think it was a, bit a one joke thing i didn't really get the, the jokes i don't really know much about the banana splits <laughs> but it was pretty good I, none of them are as good as chopping mall um though i, I think you know, uh, for these recent ones, I think Christmas Bloody Christmas is better than the others. And um, part of that is down to the fact that Begos is this guy who clearly likes his practical effects. And, you know, even though they're not always completely on the money, I prefer that to CGI any day. I mean, I guess overall, like, it, it's maybe a bit more straightforward than some of his other stuff. Uh, maybe a little bit less imaginative, say, than than Bliss, which I thought was was a really interesting take on that kind of um, vampire drug addiction stuff and everything. Again, pretty short, so two thumbs up for that. And Christmas Bloody Christmas, it's got a very, I mean, it has a very straightforward slasher plot. Um, it could be an entry in like the Silent Night, Deadly Night series or or one of the other uh, Christmas franchises. Um, well, to be fair, man, it's, I mean, it's operating within this sphere, this quite limited sphere of Christmas horror. And if you step too far out of that, then you know, or if you don't press the right buttons, then there's not much point in actually creating a Christmas horror. And I'm sure some some directors at some point are going to make some much more innovative um, or, or give us something we haven't seen before for a Christmas-themed horror. But for a Killer Santa film, yeah. I mean, it, it does everything it needs to do, and it does it with a lot of fun. It's fast-moving. I, I like the characters. Uh, I like the soundtrack. And, yeah, I mean, I guess the test of time will come next year, man. If you know what I'm, I'm coming back to looking at my the, this list of, of Christmas films to watch, which is, you know, every year when when I come back to to watching some of the ones I know I I shouldn't be watching, or I shouldn't be wasting my time watching. We'll we'll see if this one makes it to the list or not. I think it will. I think it will. But uh, I don't know. Stay tuned for this time next year, man, and we'll uh, we'll catch up on it over a over a nice bunk mug of i don't know brandy or something but uh but yeah it's on shutter now so you don't really 
you don't really have an excuse for not checking it out unless you hate Christmas horror films, which, you know, wouldn't actually blame you for that much. So I have been watching a lot of other stuff recently. <laughs> and um, I'm not going to deep dive into all of them. I'm just going to go through the ones I've been watching. There are loads of Christmas horror films out there. Some you can't get hold of anymore. Some are quite obscure. There was a bit more of a trend for these, I would say, um, during like the 80s slasher boom uh, and then some other low-budget ones as we've gone forward. And, and recently, in the last few years, um, I'd, I'd say post the success of Krampus, um, uh, Michael Doherty's Krampus a few years back, I'd say post this, this reasonable success. It wasn't a smash at the box office, but I think after that, and, you know, it's an easy sell, a sort of festive horror film. Whether it's good or not doesn't really matter. So a lot of people have been churning out low-budget shit recently, uh, the last couple of years. I mean, really bad stuff. So um, I'm not going to dive through everything. This is not like a complete deep dive into all of Christmas horrors. It's not. A, I'm not going to go into the mainstream stuff, which I'll watch, like Gremlins or Scrooge or, or stuff which is borderline horror, like uh, Jingle All the Way or, you know, old Jim Carrey going off on a pure mad one as the Grinch, <laughs> which I, I do find terrifying. We have that Christmas horror version of the Grinch, like the mean one. Um, which, I don't know, it doesn't massively appeal to me because I'm, I will watch it, it looks pretty funny, but it's just like the Grinch doing a bit of a slasher thing by the look of it. And there's no chance it'll be as mad as, as Jim Carrey as the Grinch. Man, he's half as not in that film. Some of the, I don't know. Anyway, I will watch the Grinch again, probably when I'm really, really drunk. And probably I will be quite terrified. <laughs> as usual. And I'll save Krampus itself for Christmas Eve, as, as I usually do. Um, Though I have sadly been watching some of the really, really awful knockoffs um, in the meantime for my sins. And also because I thought I'd better get some of the bad stuff out the way early. I can save some of the actual, the good Christmas horror films for closer to Christmas if, I, if I'm not sick of this stuff by now. But, but yeah, man, speaking of Krampus, like I did watch a, a few nights back. Um, one I think is actually one of the, 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 the better Christmas horrors without wanting to you know, damn with faint praise, and that's a Christmas horror story, which does actually have Santa Claus fighting Krampus. I'm not sure if that's the only one, really, where we see that. But, um, yeah, it's a Canadian anthology. It's uh, four stories, and they're connected by a wraparound with old uh, William Shatner as a, as a drunk old nasty, like, DJ, very bad-tempered, spinning the records um, over the Christmas time. And we get one, like, kind of more traditional ghost story, one about a changeling, um, Krampus comes into it for the third one. And then we finally get the last one, the best one, which is uh, Santa, the the North Pole. And the elves have turned into all these me, my wee mad zombie bastards. And he's got to fight and kill them all. And he fights Krampus. Uh, but we do, there is kind of a twist at the end of it and everything, which again, ties things together. And I don't know, like, it's quite rare to find any anthology um, that's 100% even all the way through. I think some of the old, like, Amicus ones, maybe, maybe ours or older stuff like dead of night but um i mean like vhs and everything it, like this they're they're not that even not all the stories are fantastic uh, and in this one the wraparound and the last two stories are definitely the best but the first two are fine and they ease kind of ease you into it so um so yeah i, I think it's it's definitely worth catching um you know it comes christmas horror story comes recommended i mean of course i've been watching the the Silent Night, Deadly Night films, or at least the first couple, uh, I would say. Like, um, first came out in 1984, and there's a, 
a fair whack of controversy about the concept of marketing. Because it is, I, I suppose, pretty pretty bad taste. Uh, even in like the middle or the the earlier days of the slasher boom, you know, we've got a, basically a killer Santa film about a, a guy who had a very unfortunate upbringing, and he he just snaps uh, and he goes on this uh, killing spree dressed as Santa Claus, like naughty and nice and whatnot and everything. And it was directed by uh, Charles um, Charles E. Sellier Jr., who he did a lot of TV stuff. Um, he didn't actually direct that much. He was mostly producing. Uh, but he did do that mad, um, I think it was mid-1985, eight, I'm going to say, uh, sci-fi action film, The Annihilator, which, as I was saying before, this is one of those films I'm not going to watch again because I remember it very fondly from my childhood just because of seeing the video box years later. It had an outsized video box and made it look like it was all mad robots and stuff. And, and in my mind, it was pretty good. Uh, it's probably not, so... But yeah, something like Dead Night is fantastically local, and I love, I really love regional slashers uh, for, from these different parts of the U.S. where they're low budget and making use of uh, very local actors, locations, um, get to see a bit of local booze in there and everything. And this was shot in uh, Utah, so so you do have these slightly weird acting and some sort of non-actors by the same of it in there and sort of CD rundown locations, and it's got this really nice sort of creepy atmosphere and there's a lot of off-kilter strangeness and weird moments involving the grandfather and everything and i don't know everything just ties together very very nicely to, to make a, it's not even if we just compare this take it out of the christmas slasher uh, bracket compared to other slashers of the time i'd say this is one of my you know preferred slashers of, of the sort of early mid 80s as well because it is i don't know it's quite down to earth but quite bizarre at the same time. And it is quite a few killings in there. Some of them are pretty bloody and some are, some pretty mad carnage in there. And you get like a young Linnea Quigley in there and you get this scene with her and these um, like, you know, deer antlers from a mounted deer head on the wall, which is kind of a classic, a classic slasher kill. And it was actually, as well as having trouble with its marketing and stuff, like over here in the UK, it was actually cut when it first came out. I don't think it made it out here until a few years after it had been released in the States, actually. Um, but it wasn't until about 10 years ago or something, uh, or 2000, late 2000 and maybe 2009, something. Uh, we finally got like an uncut version of it. And, and I'd, I'd only seen the, the cut version actually up until then. And it does add like, a, you get a, a fair bit more blood for your buck. Uh, so I would definitely, you know, make sure you're, you're catching the uncut version of it. And it's definitely, definitely worth finding. But um, there's others in the series. Um, I'll only watch the second one again, which focuses on the killer's younger brother. And <laughs> Jesus, man. Silent Night, Deadly Night 2. I mean, Christ. I mean, that is... It's it's an insane... It's a properly insane film. Uh, it, it's kind of the room levels of what the fuck madness. Um, it's got the garbage, the garbage day scene, which has become what I think the kids call a meme. And it's... I'm not going to... I don't want to spoil too much about that film because there's so, so many delight some bizarre bizarre things in there you know your man it's like your man um pinhead we have such sights to show you man if pinhead even if he saw the like silently deadly night too he'd be he'd be just baffled man he'd put down his box and he'd be watching this to say what so <laughs> check it out it's not actually very christmasy a huge amount of flashbacks um which is quite comical in itself but uh, very much worth catching uh also in the series you you've got uh there's several let me let me try and get them we've got um I think the third one is better watch out, and that is the last one to actually tie back to the to the actual sort of running series plot. I think it also focuses on the younger brother. Um, 
though I can't remember how it follows on from the second one, just because of the the, the radioactive insanity of the second one. Um, the third one is called Initiation, and the fourth one, the, sorry, the, the fourth one is Initiation, the fifth one is The Toy Maker, and they've got absolutely nothing to do with the other films in there, and I'm not sure if this was like a deliberate plan to go down the, um, you know, your like Halloween 3 season of Rawitch uh, direction and start doing Christmas-themed stories each year, or if these were just other films, which they just slapped the Silent Night, Deadly Night name onto. Um, I don't think they're bad, the other two. I think initiate. I remember initiation being pretty good, but I I don't know. They, they they've never sort of stayed that much in either mine or others sort of festive slaughter lists. So yeah, but check them out if you can see them. I actually quite like the remake of Silent Night. I would say, and I watched that again the other night. Uh, Two thousand and twelve film by uh, Stephen C. Miller, which has got um, Malcolm McDowell, who never never quite seems to age all that much. He kind of hit his old man mustache and white hair phase ages ago, and he's never. He's resolutely refused to shift from that. Fair play to him, man. And uh, Jamie King, who's in a few horrors and slashery remake type stuff, um, and they're both they're both pretty fun in this. But I like I like Miller as a director. Actually, he he kind of reminds me of Joe Begos a bit. Uh, he did stuff like The Aggression Scale uh, and Under the Bed. I think they were in the same year, actually. Um, so he's done a lot of good stuff again with this kind of slightly eighties eighties nineties theme to them and stuff. And and as a remake, yeah, I mean Silent Night. It's a pretty it's undeniably a very straightforward Christmas slasher. There's no messing around. To be honest, the characters aren't very interesting. There's a lot of... It, it kind of presents you with like a lot of characters who are, seem completely random. Um, and it ties things together a bit later. But by then, you know, you're not really caring much about the story. And it, and it doesn't have what, say, like Christmas Bloody Christmas has uh, in terms of uh, sort of consistent character focus, which, which pulls you through it. So it's a... You know, the pace, it feels longer than it is. Even It's not a long film, it's an hour and a half again, but it feels longer than it is because it, it's not that engaging. And it's it's got a sort of odd balance in comedy and horror. It's not very frightening. Um, <laughs> actually, I've, I've said I like this film, and I do like this film. It, it's, you know, so the things I've said there are true, but at the same time, it does have some pretty inventive kill scenes. It has a good, good quality uh, killer Santa in there and a pretty funny reason. Uh, when you actually find out where, he, not funny reason, but a sort of funny setup rather for, for when you find out the who's and the why's and the what's of the whole thing and everything. Uh, and it definitely gets the Christmas atmosphere right. It's got a lot of snow, the Christmas lights, the small town, everything, that kind of creepy Americana vibe, everything. So, yeah, keep your expectations low, uh, <laughs> and uh, it's definitely worth watching. Although, as with a lot of this stuff, it's because there isn't really that much good stuff out there for Christmas, but. But yeah, the Silent Light films, I mean, it was by no means the first Killer Santa. There's a whole bunch of them before. Um, one of the early ones, um, which always jumps out, and I will always, I definitely catch, and I'm actually keeping till later because I, I really like this one, as uh, Christmas Evil uh, from 1980, which, I mean, put it this way, comes recommended by John Waters, which um, that automatically makes it worth watching, man. And it also gives you a fair idea that it's a bit weirder and sleazier than others. Um, it's another fantastic like a regional production, another one of these great low-budget U.S. regional slashers. Uh, it was shot in New Jersey, and the strangeness kind of comes from the fact that the central, like the maniac in the, in the middle of the film, like uh, he actually thinks he is old Santa Claus. So you get this mix of him being murderous and actually being very nice to people, uh, given presents and stuff. So it's a, it's a really bizarre film. 
with an odd feel to it though uh it's a lot of fun and like you say you know like i said when john waters says watch it i'm i'm not arguing with john waters man so uh you should definitely check that out and there's so uh, there's a few other decent like killer santa films not that many uh, I watched All Through the House again the other day, a 2015 one by a director called Todd Noons, which is actually quite solid. Uh, I think I, I watched it last year and fell asleep drunk uh, halfway through, which usually I just take as a sign, you know, that um, I fell asleep for a reason, though. <laughs> a reason other than the drink, like, but um, but no, it's actually pretty good. It's, it's for, again, super basic, like, gory Santa plot. Um Again, like Silent Night Remake, it's let down by lack of story, even more so here, because there isn't anything really connecting. There doesn't turn out to be like a narrative um, reveal towards the end. It's just random characters in their houses being killed by this huge beast of a Santa Claus. Um, but it's got a low-budget charm, good Christmas atmosphere, and it's actually surprisingly nasty and surprisingly gory, um, especially for these sort of more, I don't know, sanitized horror times where we don't tend to see quite so many sort of bloody kills so um so yeah all through the house is worth checking out and blood tidings aka good tidings um i don't know i get confused it's, it seems to go by both the names and it's actually a british one um but a homeless veteran who's protecting a bunch of other uh homeless folk in this really large uh building i, I guess it was filmed somewhere in the the north of england um i don't know maybe liverpool i don't know but it's so i guess it's like the uk version of this regional slasher sort of trend and it's actually okay um uh, doesn't make a lick of sense the, the low budget really shows it's kind of amateurish in places but um it's got a very nice sense soundtrack surprisingly so i you know above average maybe or maybe just average but we'll see but away from like uh killer santas and stuff and i've pretty much exhausted it there to be honest uh uh, I'll be watching Black Christmas, as I've said, like Bob Clark's 1974 all-time classic. And, you know, everybody's talked about that or written about it. So I won't go into it. But if you haven't seen it, Jesus, man, uh, you, you have to see that. And I'll save that probably for around about Christmas Eve as well. But again, with the remakes, um, this one's been remade twice. I mean, it's been ripped off, Christ knows how many times. But two remakes, we have Black Christmas, the 2006 one, which I think is actually just Black Xmas. Um, something which I hate seeing people write, but I think the cover of this like a big bloody red X, so I don't know, give this one the benefit of the doubt, but it's from uh, Glenn Morgan, who's did a lot of the, the X-Files stuff, and he did um, Final Destination 3, which I think is the roller coaster at the start. I think it's the roller coaster, and it's the one with the uh, the sunbed. Oh, I don't like those, the sunbeds. Uh, the, the two girls get trapped in their sunbeds and sort of melt and burn to death oh that's one of the nastier final destination deaths and i think he also did the the crispin glover uh, remake of willard which was okay but not as nearly as crazy as it should have been given how weird the actual original film is and hey it's crispin glover so i know you should always dial him up to 11 if you can but yeah as a remake it's kind of forgotten it's got a daft plot which i believe kind of actually ties into the original black christmas but Again, lots of Christmas lights. Very sort of visually a nice Christmas atmosphere. Um, some decent kill scenes. Actually got a pretty good cast in there as well. So um, I haven't seen it for years, I'll be honest with you. But I, I remember it fondly. Uh, if I can track it down, um, I'll watch that again. But really, really, really did not like the 2019 version. Absolutely hated it. Saw that in the cinema. Um, 
uh, and then after that, you know, tried it again. I think it, it's on Netflix, I think, or it was. And it's it's awful, man. I just don't know why they. It's one of those ones I don't know why they bothered. Like, um, and I'll say, like, I don't I don't hate it because of the. I don't even like using this word, like the criticism for being like woke. I never what the fuck is I mean, that's a stupid word anyway, but <laughs> that's another conversation. But it's not that. I And it does lean into sort of tackling toxic males and, you know, masculinity and uh, and that sort of male privilege and everything, which I, I, I had no problem with at all, to be honest with you. I think horror is a great... Horror, one of the thing, things I love about horror is, you know, you can use horror to sort of tackle any social issues, anything you want, as long as you still deliver the goods, the horror goods. And this doesn't. It just, that, that's why I don't get it, because, why you know, it's, it's not a remake of the Black Christmas films. It tries to vaguely nod towards them and the, the setting and stuff, but it's absolutely nothing to do with them at all. And it's like PG-13, 12, I think it was 15 in the UK, but it's essentially a 12-rated film. And it it's a no-gore bore, man. And there's this... Setting it was so maybe it was missold, I guess, because it is sold as a slasher film where it's actually. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm gonna spoil this. Like, it's actually about black slime. Um, why? Oh man, I've no clue, no clue whatsoever. It's about black slime, which gets people to do something. Is the black slime just maleness? I don't know, man, but it's it's tedious and it's really stupid. And maybe if it hadn't been called Black Christmas and knew nothing about it and I just watched it completely no 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 fuck it. it's just Pishman. <laughs> it's just a really shit film um probably it's got its fans and fair play why not man but I will not be watching that again it's it, it, it's not alone in being awful though for Christmas films and there's terrible stuff out there man I mean I watched uh I watched the the killer snowman one you know Jack Frost which is actually that's not terrible it, it's not scary uh, it's nowhere near as scary as I think it was Michael Keaton who's in that kiddies one <laughs> Jack Frost film with the same name and the, the cover of that he's just got these evil beady little coal eyes and for some reason they, they've angled his eyebrows like a damn villain and that that's a scary film I do not like that I won't watch that again um, but yeah the Jack Frost horror one it's pretty funny there was this whole run of ones like that the gingerbread man and I'm sure these things are still going on and I remember it's got some very it's got it's got a very unfortunate scene in it involving the snowman in the shower with a poor woman and his and his carrot nose so it's um you, that gives you a pretty good idea this is sort of bottom of the barrel stuff but yeah it could be worse um but the sequel christ man i tried watching the sequel the other day and it's it, it's i don't know why i watched it I had a couple of drinks i thought it would be a good idea and kind of takes the snowman to the tropics and it's awful it's i gave up I mean, I have to admit, there's only a very small number of films I've actually given up watching, and this was one of them. It's not funny. There's no, it's not even not funny in a funny way, uh, if, if that makes sense. It's just horribly made. People don't even look like they're acting together on the same screen. It's just, no, disgrace of a film. Yeah, I don't watch it. And actually, after watching that, I, I don't think I'd ever watch the first one again anyway. So, nope, that's gone. There's a lot of terrible Krampus films out there, um, as I as I mentioned, and a lot of them have been on Amazon. Um, I get, I mean, it's easy to get them all mixed up because they have really similar names and they've been charting. Some of these are just renamed films, which have nothing to do with Krampus really or Christmas. And you have like a Krampus the Christmas Devil, Krampus Unleashed, Krampus the Wreckaging, the Re the Wreckaging, Krampus the Reckoning, Krampus Origins, Mother Krampus. I mean, it's just there's an endless list of these. Krampus films out there and they're all terrible um, I mean there's I can't even remember which one it 
which one it is, but one's got like soldiers on some archaeological dig and Krampus is unleashed and oh, no, they're just piss poor films with CGI and stuff. So um, they're not even fun in a sort of sci-fi monster on the rampage type of thing. They're not even slasher films. There's not, there's just no point to them. It's just putting in sort of festive perspective. This is just like pure anti-festive like cynicism and so don't don't give them your clicks um really stay away from them you know this has come from a guy who who watches a lot of awful horror films really bad and, and actually quite like quite a lot of awful horror films or conventionally bad horror films but these krampus ones uh i mean they're not connected or anything but just you know if you see one and some of the covers look pretty cool then i would check have a look online uh first and see because they're easy to spot because they're pretty much like one star rated everywhere and that's not mainstream snobs giving them one star. These are awful films. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not going into detail about any of them, you know, because there is no point apart from to warn you. So finally, I guess there's, there's some comedy, Christmas horror comedies. They're not that many. And uh, ones like Christmas Presents, which is a British one. Christmas Presents, as in presents, as in ghosts, not like presents under the tree. It's pretty bad as well. I don't think I've seen any good sort of Christmas horror comedies. Uh, in that respect and there, there'll definitely be some out there i'm sure but i'm just going to finish with a sort of shout out to the anna and the apocalypse which i'm sure most of you have heard of or would have seen but it's the 2017 scottish yes man uh zombie horror christmas comedy musical it's actually shot not too far from where i sit well not not too far as in if i was actually having to travel there i'd have to get um uh two buses uh at least one boat a train than another bus so it is kind of far but if i was actually swimming then actually no i probably drowned but yeah anyway not too far a place called port glasgow uh, so it's it's great seeing a film shot up here which gives it a few bonus points for me but it's a huge amount of fun and as a musical like it's not my kind of music but i enjoyed the tunes and they're you know they're actually well incorporated into the plot it's more that kind of musical than a, a pop musical and it gets, you know, it gets a really nice balance between like festive sentiment and fun. Uh, there's no scares, of course, and it's it's got some splatter, actually, some of it quite nice. And it, it's very nice towards its characters. It's got a good sort of camaraderie uh, between them and a lot of sort of um, talent in there as well, like uh, Ella Hunt, who, who's gone on to be in a lot of stuff. And uh, Marley Sue, who does this uh, amazing musical number in it, which actually is probably the, the film's best scene and which uh, probably the most memorable thing about the film. But, you know, even just as a zombie film, it does something different, which I really which I really like as well. I mean, you, you know how overloaded we are with like low budget zombie piss and everything. So, um, so yeah, I, I, that's definitely one I watch again every year. And it is definitely one of the, the better Christmas themed horror films out there. Anyway, so that, that's about it. Um, I will probably find some other ones to add to the list uh, this year, and there'll probably be other ones I I watch again and will cross off and <laughs> never go back to. But but yeah, go. I would definitely be watching like Christmas Bloody Christmas, uh, you know, the Silent Night films, some of the you know the earlier Black Christmas ones, and you know Christmas Evil. There is some good stuff out there. Um, there is some good horror out there for Christmas. Um, and of course, you still have your M.R. James, your ghost stories for Christmas and everything. So I think you'll be okay through these sort of cold December months and everything. Cold December month, um, rather, as you're, as you're waiting for old Santa Claus to, to come down your chimney or if it's Robot Santa, just to deck his way through your door, man, with his mad axe and everything. But um, there you go. 
if the, I don't know if I'll do another one of these before Christmas. Actually, I might. It depends. Um, depends on all house moving and everything. But otherwise, uh, yeah, I hope you all have a very happy Christmas, a, a very big happy Christmas and happy new year to you from uh, from Whiskey Bikini, from Coven myself. And yeah, have a good one. Stay safe. Um, enjoy a few drinks by the fire and listen to the other episodes. And yeah, thanks for giving this episode a go. See you later. Cheers. Whiskey bikini. 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 Whiskey bikini.